Proverbs chapter number 11 is where we're at tonight, and uh, this is one of those chapters, like I've mentioned before, that just, you know, changes subjects uh, uh, very quickly and over and over, and so uh, rather than try to outline it, which, you know, we could, we can break it down in tiny little sections and say, okay, uh, you know, this verse and the, the next verse is on this subject, but uh, I, I just uh, think it's better for now anyway to just go with the natural flow like it's written and not try to outline it but just go through it verse by verse and throughout the chapter we see a contrast between unrighteousness and righteousness and uh, if we if we if we pay attention like we should it'll be really easy to see that righteousness is to be preferred over unrighteousness now you already knew that right but but the fact of the matter is most people in the world today don't understand that you know they prefer the unrighteousness i i, I was just looking at, a, at an article i didn't read the whole article or anything but i'd been listening to rush limbaugh little segment and and different ones commenting on uh, hillary's downfall supposedly that, you know, this might be the straw that broke the camel's back. And just uh, this article, a survey proved that among all candidates, Democrat and Republicans, she is still by far the top choice. Boy, I'm telling you what, after all of this, when you think about that, it just tells you the sad state America is in today. Now, that, you know, who knows? Uh, we're getting that from the media, and we know how biased they are. We don't know how accurate that is or anything else. But it's very clear that our nation is is in deep trouble. And, and I say all of that, uh, not to get off subject, I say that to simply say that the majority of people uh, prefer unrighteousness. That's what Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. And so that's what we can expect from the average person in the world. Well, again, since this subject changes so frequently, we're just going to look at verse by verse. So uh, naturally we start in verse 1. And uh, there's two statements here. Again, the contrast, both sides of the coin. A false balance is abomination to the Lord. Now, remember I said last week, we talked just a little bit about uh, that word abomination and how that those things that are abominations to God ought to get our attention. Uh, those things ought to be avoided at all costs. And in this case, he's using the, the language of commerce, and uh, he's speaking of fraud. And I don't need to tell you, as most people know, uh, most people cheat you if they can. If they can get by with it, you know, that bait and switch at the you know, at the car dealer or wherever it might be, it doesn't make any difference. If the average person out there in the business world, if they can cheat you, if they can get ahead and beat you out of your money, that's what they're going to do. Uh, and we need to realize that that our dealings with other people is a reflection of our relationship with God. And, I, I mean, it... it tells a tale about us and, and our standing with the Lord. And uh, we offend God, 
but we also ruin our testimony before others. That, you know, that, that's a sad thing. A lot of times we think, and you're going to see here in just a little bit later on, how unrighteousness affects us in a negative way, which is a horrible, terrible thing. We end up hurting ourselves. But the worst part about it is that it grieves the heart of God. God hates sin, and, and it destroys our testimony. And ultimately, we end up hurting other people. That's why I always have said, you know, if sin didn't hurt anybody but the person that committed it, it would, you know, it'd be bad, but it wouldn't be quite so bad. Uh, but, boy, when you consider how it affects God and how it affects other people, that makes any sin horrible. So a false balance. He's talking about the scales, you know, uh, and... Uh, you know the the old story about the you know the butcher putting his thumb on the scale to give a false reading in order to uh, get gain, and that's the idea, false balance. But notice a just weight is his delight, and so if we're genuinely concerned about pleasing God, we're going to be fair in our dealings with other people. Uh, you, We've all heard the old saying, honesty is the best policy. Well, that's really true. Honesty is the best policy in every case. It might seem that, you know, we could use something to our advantage and we'd get a little bit ahead if we'd cut a few corners and, you know, we could cheat somebody just a little bit, you know, and so forth. But, uh, but uh, that little bit that we supposedly gain from our wrong is going to end up costing us dearly when it comes to the blessings of God. So it says a just weight is his delight. Now verse 2, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. Well, if you don't believe that, all you've got to do is to read your history book. I mean, just look back through history and see what happens to those that were lifted up with pride. And every time I think about that, the first name that comes to my mind is Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, you know the story how, you know, that he refused to listen to God and he set himself up as a god. But listen to what he said in Daniel chapter number 4. And uh, see, I believe it's right down at the end of the chapter. Yes, verse 37 of that chapter. Now, this is after he finally came to his senses and he finally acknowledged that God is indeed the God of heaven. And here's what he said. Now, I've underlined that in red in my Bible because, boy, when he says now, you have to look back and see what all happened before that. But now, after all of that suffering, after all of that shame and embarrassment, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment. Now, get this. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase Boy, if anybody knew that from first-hand experience, it was Nebuchadnezzar. You know, a lot of folks get the idea, and sooner or later we all fall in some way to some extent. Because sooner or later, every one of us acts out of character. We do things that we ordinarily wouldn't do. And a lot of times, whenever a person has a fall, they never recover because 
you know, of the embarrassment of it, and they think to themselves, oh my, I've done something that's so very terrible that I can, uh, God can never use me again. I've absolutely ruined my life. Well, you, you've done something terrible, but let me tell you, a lot of times, great ministries are born out of miserable failures. People that have failed miserably many times out of the depths of their experience, now they are better equipped to help others uh, to prevent a fall in their life or to help them recover. And, And so when you stop and think about Nebuchadnezzar making this statement and the boldness that took, I mean, here is a heathen king Uh, professing his conversion over to the God of the Jews. I mean, it took a lot of courage for this man to do that. But he did so because he had experienced the wrath of God and also come to the realization that God is just in all of his dealings. God is honest. God is true. He's the only true and the living God. And so here is a man that was converted as a result of that awful experience. And now he's he's sounding out this warning to everybody else in the kingdom. And you better believe when the king spoke, everybody listened. And he said, you know, if when we're lifted up with pride, God is able to abase, bring down those that are lifted up with pride. And so when pride cometh, boy, you could just add a lot of things to that. But our text says, when it comes, then cometh shame. Uh, but and I, I'm, I'm so glad that we, you know, we always have the other side of the coin in these verses But with the lowly is wisdom. You know, those that are humble, in other words, they are open and they're ready to learn. And as a result of that, they become wise. So the person that is lowly, the person that is humble in their own mind and what have you, they're somebody that is teachable and they're they're going to learn as a result of it. And uh, whenever you look at it that way, we know we put so much emphasis on a person's IQ. I was reading a list the other day of the people in history with the highest IQs. I don't know why I was reading that, but I thought it was interesting. And, and Einstein's not even close to the top dog on the list. You know, a lot of people had higher IQs than, uh, than he did actually. But I guess after you reach a certain point, it doesn't really matter because... You know, a lot of those people that had IQs were more than a bit weird also. But the point I'm trying to make is humility is more important than your IQ. You know, you hear people, you know, talk about, I've got an IQ of this or that. So what? If you don't, if, if you don't have humility, that doesn't mean anything because pride is the number one learning disability. That's the number one learning disability because the proud person, you can't tell them anything. They're not going to listen. They think they've got it all figured out. And so, you know, why should they listen to you? They're better than you even when they know they're wrong. Within the depths of their heart, they know they're wrong. Their pride will not allow them to admit it. And, you know, that's one of the reasons the Bible says only, only by pride cometh contention. And so every time you see a contentious situation, you know that pride is involved in that. 
we get rid of the pride, we'd get rid of the contention. If we get rid of the pride, well, we'd get rid of a lot of things. But one thing is for sure, we'd be a lot wiser if we were more humble. Now, verse 3, the integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Well, whenever you look at it, you know, here, and you look at all of the other verses pertaining to the matter of integrity, uh, you quickly come to the conclusion that, that integrity is something that is priceless, something that is of great value, and those that seek God's guidance, eventually they're going to find it. You know, we might go through those periods of times whenever, you know, it might be somebody said, well, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, I'd be quick to do it. You know, I'd, I, I, I would get right to it. And, and, and there are times that it just might be that we're not ready to know what it is that God has for us in the future, and God withholds that information until the right time. But if we have humility in our heart and we walk in our integrity, the time's going to come that God's going to reveal His will for us. Our problem is we get in too big a hurry. You know, we want things to happen right now. It's like I uh, responded to someone's uh, email or Facebook or something that had a little, some kind of little cute saying on there. And my response to it, it was talking about God, you know, helping nobody's become somebody's. And, uh, and so I, you know, the little outline that maybe some of you remember I've used before about Moses, the first 40 years, he was a somebody. He is somebody. Grandpa's king. He's a somebody. Well, the second 40 years of his life, he was a nobody. I mean, he's out in the desert tending sheep. He's a nobody now. But the last 40 years of his life, God showed the world how he can take a nobody and make somebody out of him. You see, and that's what humility does. It makes us usable. But notice he says his integrity, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. But the perverseness, talking about the crookedness, as it were, uh, of transgressors, those that sin, shall destroy them. Now, notice it's their perverseness that brings about the destruction. And and I always think about Israel whenever God said, My people have destroyed themselves. And and that's that's what sin does. It's like like suicide. You know, we end up destroying ourselves. And a lot of people turn around and, you know, they want to blame God for it. Well, you know... uh, this happened to me. I've been suffering, and I've, you know, I've suffered a great loss, incurred a great debt, going through great hardships. Well, uh, the bottom line is that sin has its own built-in punishment, and so when we sin, we always end up hurting ourselves, ultimately destroying ourselves. Now, verse number four: Riches profit not in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivereth from death. You know, there are a lot of folks who get the idea that they can live as they please, maybe because they've got either a high position or lots of money. As I was coming over here, I had the radio on, and uh, I'm trying to think of who it was. I guess it was Michael Berry, and he was talking about, and, and I don't know all of the details of this, but this this one very rich guy that is into human trafficking that has this island and they take those little 14, 15-year-old girls over there 
and then they fly these big shots over there. Clinton, supposedly, according to the report, was one of the clients, and it's proven fact that he flew over there. And this guy is a huge contributor to the Clinton campaign and so on and so forth. You know, there's something about fame that causes people to think, I can get by with it. I can get by with it. And boy, you do. I mean, you look down the list through history of different ones. Whenever, whenever you think about Bob Harrington, the chaplain of Bourbon Street, and Jimmy Swagger, and those are men that, you know, we wouldn't agree with for a minute whenever it comes to most of the Bible doctrines and things of that nature. But the fact is, those, just like a lot of Hollywood entertainers and athletes and things like that, they reach a certain pinnacle of success to where they think, now I can get by with it. This Durst trial that is, well, it's not a trial yet, but all of, all of this nonsense that's been going on with that guy for years and years and all of the millions of dollars he has and able to hire, you know, the very best lawyers in the land and he gets out of one thing after another thing and so forth. And, and, and so a lot of people think their position or their money uh, will we'll get them out of anything so they can live as they please. But my Bible says that riches profit not in the day of wrath. And you better believe their riches can't bring them any comfort whenever they are judged by the Lord because we can't buy our way out of trouble when it comes to God. When we offend His holy standard, when we grieve His righteous heart, when we violate his perfect rules and so forth, ultimately there is a price to pay and no amount of money or no greatness of position in this world is going to get us out of it. And that's the point he's making. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. You know, we've been saying this over and over again because it keeps coming up again and again. The fact that righteousness can literally save your life. And, and, and almost everybody's interested in living longer. You know, some people exercise and uh, some people take vitamins. And someone told me today they're going to, they're going to start going the, in the holistic route, you know, and use all of the natural vitamins and herbs and stuff like that. And so uh, they feel like that's, the, the, you know, the best route to go and, you know, who knows whether it is or not, but anyway, that's the decision they came to. And, and so people do almost anything to improve their health and increase their longevity. Listen, the best thing we can do is to live righteously before the Lord. There is nothing that will make you healthier and nothing that will keep you here longer than living right in the sight of God. Now, verse number 5. He says, the righteousness of the, of the perfect shall direct his way. Now, understand, when he talks about perfect here, he's not talking about somebody that's sinless. There's a big difference between the word sinless and the word perfect. The word perfect here means complete, and we use it oftentimes, as the Bible does, in the sense of maturity. And so he says the righteousness of the perfect, those, you know, that have reached... Uh, closer to perfection than the average person and, you know, those that have matured and developed and so forth, their righteousness shall direct his way. 
You know, it's basically exactly the same thing he said in verse number 3. It's just, you know, worded a little bit different, but really it's the same thing. And the point being that, that righteousness ought to be the rule for our conduct. In other words, it ought to be our road map uh, to tell us where to go. I put a little thing on, uh, I, I was so frustrated at, at my new iPhone, and I put on there something, I don't know, I was venting and something to the effect, give me back my pager. Forget these smartphones. You know, uh, some of us dummies have a hard time. But, but I, I've since changed my mind <laughs> after I got here and somebody, Mike showed me what, you know, what I needed to do, and now I'm happy about it. Because I can be going down the highway, and if I don't know where I'm at, I can push a button. It'll tell me where I'm at, and it'll, and it'll show me where I'm going. Well, you know, <laughs> we all need a road map whenever it comes to the manner in which we live, and that road map ought to be righteousness. We talk about the paths of righteousness, and that's the way that we ought to walk. And so he says the righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way. In other words, he's not wondering, you know, uh, should I do this, should I do that, should I go this way, should I go that way? Uh, You just follow the path of righteousness and you'll never be off track. It's that simple. But the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. That needs no explanation whatsoever, going back again to verse 3, where he talked about the results, you know, of wickedness and so... Uh, contrary to the righteous per- person, uh, the wicked shall fall, and, and they do so because of their own wickedness. Not the wickedness of someone else, but notice, the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. I get so sick and tired of people all of the time talking about, you know, the reason that so-and-so did this or did that. The other day I was watching the, uh, a new segment about this guy that shot... Uh, uh, Kyle, uh, Chris Kyle, was that his name, the, the sniper? And, uh, and, and so the lawyer naturally was bringing up all of the stuff from this kid's childhood and so forth. Well, this happened and that happened and so forth. Uh, but, you know, ultimately we all have to stand on our own two feet and God holds us accountable for the decisions that we make. And, 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 you know, looking, looking back at your childhood saying, oh, well, you know, I had this bad experience or that bad experience and what have you is never any justification for wrongdoing. And, and that's the point here. He shall fall, notice, by his own wickedness. Somebody say, well, they fell in with the wrong crowd. Well, you know, that's a bad thing to do. You know, the Bible tells us that evil communication corrupts good manners. You shouldn't be in with the bad crowd. But the fact of the matter is, it's our own responsibility, and it causes a fall whenever we go in the way of wickedness. Now, verse 6, the righteousness of the upright shall deliver them. I don't need to explain that. That's a glorious thought because we all need deliverance of different sorts, you know, whether it's out of the whether it's out of the snare of temptation or whether it's out of some sin or, or uh, deliverance from some great struggle and difficulty that we're going through. Uh, it says the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but 
transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. That word naughtiness means strong desire. The word taken is a word that implies being captured, if you please. And the transgressors shall be captured, shall be taken, notice, in their own naughtiness. In other words, it's saying this, that those that indulge in the pursuit of trying to satisfy their passions end up destroying themselves. This is talking about people that are given to strong desires. It's the lust that is within them, and they're consumed by that, obsessed with that. And the result of that, notice the transgressor shall be taken and, and, and that's why the Bible, you know, speaks about sinners being in captivity to sin. They are in bondage to sin. And, and, and in such bondage that nobody but Christ could ever even possibly think about delivering them. The transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. Verse 7, when a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, but the hope of of unjust men perisheth. Now, notice here that, that it's very evident from this that, that wicked men sometimes have high hopes. Uh, that word expectation speaks about high hopes. And, and uh, that's, that's the reason it's so difficult to reach religious people. You'll come more near getting someone to listen to the gospel and receive the gospel by talking to people that are sitting on a bar stool somewhere than you will in talking to people that are seated in church pews. Those that are off into false doctrine, whether it's the Jehovah Witnesses or whoever it is, just pick any denomination, you know, that's teaching away contrary to what the Bible teaches, and those will be the very hardest people that you ever talk to about the things of the Lord. And the reason is because they have a hope. They have a hope, but their hope is a false hope. And, you know, whenever somebody tells you, look, I I realize I'm a sinner. I don't have any hope. I know I'm going to hell. They don't have any hopes whatsoever. That's one thing. But whenever somebody has this hope, this expectation, and there are a lot of people out there right now, you could ask them, do you you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? Oh, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven. You know, they expect to go to heaven when they die. But then you ask them, how do you know? And, and and I'll guarantee you a lot of them, a lot of them cannot give you a scriptural answer. It's not because I'm trusting in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in salvation by grace through faith. It's you know, because I've kept the sacraments, because I've joined the church, because I'm a good neighbor, because I give to charity or whatever it is. And those are the people that's hard to reach. But notice the wicked man dieth and his expectations, his hopes shall perish and the hope of unjust men perisheth. And so the, the, the point of it is, is that death, death is going to leave them in a state of eternal disappointment. You know, we oftentimes when we think about heaven, think about the future, and we think about the streets of gold, the gates of pearl, and, you know, the... 12-layer foundation of precious stone and all of those things that we associate with heaven and how wonderful that's going to be. 
But, you know, we talk about the satisfaction and fulfillment of that. Uh, But think about being eternally disappointed, eternally unsatisfied. And that's the point here. Death is going to leave them in that state. Now, verse 8, the righteous is delivered out of trouble. Uh, Boy, that's one reason I love Psalms 46 and verse number 1 so much about our God being our refuge and our strength. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Thank God for that, that we have somewhere to go and someone to depend upon whenever we're overwhelmed by the troubles of life. And notice, the righteous is delivered out of trouble. Now, look, it doesn't say, it doesn't say that we'll never encounter trouble. It, does, it doesn't say that we'll, you know, that we'll never, uh, we'll never have any problems. Uh, the Bible doesn't give a promise like that. To the contrary, it tells us our days are, uh, are a few days and full of trouble. And so w- w- there's no escape from our problems, but there is deliverance from our problems. And, and you see, God has obligated himself. You can't obligate God, but God has obligated himself and he's given you exceeding great and precious promises that in your time of trouble, if you call upon him, he will deliver you. And it says the righteous, the righteous is delivered out of his trouble and the, and the wicked cometh in his stead. And I've looked at that verse over and over again and we could talk about it for 15 or 20 minutes here and so forth. And the, the way that it's worded is very difficult to... Uh, uh, or at least for me, a bit difficult to really understand what the point is. But in, 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 after looking at it for quite some time, I think it's saying the trouble from which the righteous person is delivered ends up falling upon the wicked person. Uh, and, and the first thing that comes to my mind is Haman. Remember, Haman was hung on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. And uh, here, here is a man, a wicked man, that is intent on bringing false accusations against a good man, and he's going to hang this man, and he has him to build the gallows, and yet in the end he is hanged on that. And, and, and I, I think that's the picture here. A lot of times, you know, the, uh, the very thing that, that the righteous person is delivered from is the very thing that's going to come upon those that are wicked. And that's why he proceeds and moves right on with another illustration of this whenever he says in verse number uh, 9, and hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor. Well, you know, I just mentioned Haman, and uh, and, and so here, here's here's the perfect example un, uh, of that. And you'll remember that it was under the pretense of loyalty that here's a man that would have destroyed a whole nation just to get his way. He's going to get rid of those Jews. He hated those Jews. He's going to get rid of them. And, and it was all about him not getting his way because... Mordecai wouldn't show him, the, you know, the what he thought was the proper respect and acknowledge his authority and so forth. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll just kill you. And he lied about the Jews and so forth. And, and, you know, if he'd got his way, he'd have wiped them all out. It shows you what great harm, what damage can come as a result of people that are intent on getting their way. 
And that, that's why so many times that families end up, you know, in a divorce court. That's the reason churches end up split, because somebody is so adamant and dogmatic and emphatic about something that I am not about to change my mind. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get my way or I'm going to tear this thing apart. And uh, that, that was his attitude. And so the hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but... Through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Now notice, through knowledge. Knowing what to do and having the heart to do it affords us great security. God said to Israel, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And knowledge is so very important. You know, we talk so much about faith and and the just shall live by faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is absolutely important. But we've got to understand that faith is founded upon our knowledge, our knowledge of God's promises. Some people have faith in faith. You know, that's like Norman Vincent Peale in The Power of Positive Thinking. Well, that's not going to get you anywhere. It certainly won't get you into heaven. Just believing everything's going to turn out all right. You need more than positive thinking. You need more than to just say, oh, well, i got faith that in the end everything's going to turn out all right. You know, I've got a positive attitude. I'm not worried about it. No, no. Look, faith has to be built and, and grounded upon the promises of God. It's kind of like somebody made an acoustic out of it, you know, forsaking all, I take him. And, uh, but it has to be built upon that. That's why the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so that's the way our faith is developed as a result of knowledge. And notice, through knowledge shall the just be delivered. I'm going to take one more verse and then to give them time to get in here, I'm going to get out of here. So we're going to look at verse 10 just very briefly and wrap it up there. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth, and the wicked, and when the wicked perish, there is shouting. Any city, country, home, church benefits greatly uh, by the influence of those that are righteous and this is a statement of fact here when it goes it goeth well with the righteous of the city when it goes well they rejoice and when the wicked perish you know whenever the wicked ungodly king is finally dethroned it says there is shouting well the next verse is going to tell us why but i'm not going to I'm not going to go there, but, uh, and boy, I'm, you, you don't know what temptations I am fighting and resisting to make an application to the political situation today. You probably already read my mind. Uh, whenever the wicked perish, there is shouting. We've got reason to rejoice when God dethrones the wicked that are in positions of leadership. That's not to say that we gloat over somebody's suffering. I don't mean that. But I mean, I mean simply this, that our country, the welfare of our country, is much more important than the ego 
uh, of, of any ruler whatsoever in the countries. Enough said. Better leave it right there. Hard to quit, but uh, I've got to. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, we'll be in verse 11 next week. Thank you so much for your attention. Any any last words, something maybe we forgot about or comment or anything? How about we sing a little chorus? Usually Jason Skidmore is here, and he generally sings for us, you know, uh, on Wednesday nights, but he's... Uh, uh, I, I don't know whether he where he's at, whether he's working or what, but he couldn't be here tonight, evidently. And so, uh, anybody got a little chorus in mind? <laughs>